What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. This episode of Raising Adults is brought to you by Yetta Anderson with Family First Midwifery. Yetta and her team bring comprehensive care and safe birthing options to women and families across the greater Phoenix area. I know Yetta personally, and I can tell you that she is amazing. If I had another baby, Yetta is who I would want by my side. For more information on Yetta and her practice, go to familyfirstmidwifery.com. Welcome. We are excited that you're here along with us again today to talk about really the foundation of future-focused parenting, where it begins, and that's when you find out you're expecting. So we're going to talk about pregnancy today, talk about just how do you go about even laying this foundation for future-focused parenting while you have some time to think about it. I think many people wait until baby's already here and then find themselves having to quickly try to figure out how to make up ground they may have already lost. So we're going to give those of you who might have had the forethought to think about this in advance or maybe who are expecting right now a chance to really think about how to do that and possibly even think about how to do things differently if you're expecting number two or three or more. Yeah, absolutely. So should we start with our whys? Of course. Um, So my why when I was pregnant um, was twofold. One, I got some great advice really early on from my friend Lara, who said that she got this great advice from a friend, which was don't read pregnancy books when you're pregnant. Your doctor will take care of your weight and your nutrition, and they'll give you all the information that you need. She said, read parenting books when you're pregnant because you're not going to have the time to read them once the baby's born. So that was amazing advice because it's true. You have the space and the bandwidth to start thinking about the kind of parent that you are going to become or that you want to be, the kind of adult that you want to raise while you're still expecting. Once you have a baby and you're up all night and you're tired, it's a lot harder to take the time and make the time to read those books. And honestly, you mostly just want to watch The Bachelor. So chances are you're not going to do that reading. So that was first and foremost was I had an awareness early on thanks to my friend that actually this was the time to be thinking forward. The other thing for me was, of course, when I found out I was having twins, there was a huge fear factor. How am I going to cope with this? Um, I I had said from the get-go that twins were my worst nightmare. Like jokingly, like, oh, well, twins, that would be my worst nightmare. Um, And so once I found out that I had brought about my worst nightmare, um, and of course they are... (laughs) They are my dream come true now. But at that time, I was really concerned. And so there was also a lot of thinking about what do I need to put in place now to make sure that I can cope as effectively as possible on the other side of the birth. Great. For me, and I love that you said the time to read parenting books won't be readily available once you are a parent. It's so true. So for me, I also had two big reasons that I cared about laying kind of this this groundwork. And one is I am a planner. I'll completely admit it. I'll cop to that. Some people are not naturally that way. I am naturally that way. And so for me, laying a foundation is huge because the rest of the building is very dependent on the foundation. And for me, that was just, I mean, I can't even talk about how big it was. It was, I was actually up nights sometimes thinking about it. I'm going to be responsible for a person. I mean, that feels so huge and scary, honestly. And I wanted to start well. But secondly, 
I believe in preparation and you can't prepare for something that's already happening. And I was already pregnant. Like mm. that's already what it is. I'm not going to go backwards and prepare for it. And But I have this unique opportunity and this special nine-month window now to prepare for parenthood. So I want to use my preparation window when I have one. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about our hows. <laughs> um, so I did two two major things. One was I read a lot of books. I had a pretty clear idea around what my value system was going to be in terms of parenting. I knew that emotional intelligence was going to be very important for me. So I sought out books that talked about that, and one of which is John Gottman's Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. That was one of the first books I read. Um, and just trying to really get a handle on how am I going to parent in this way. Um, and then I also read a lot of books about having twins, and I read a lot of books about sleep. I read a lot of books about um, also how do you as a couple transition, mm. which I'll talk about in a bit because that ultimately became a passion of mine and is the majority of the coaching that I do is with expectant couples. Um, so those were the the ways that I kind of sought out um, getting getting what information I felt like I was going to need in those months that I had the time to discover it. The other thing I did because and this is unique to twins, I think, but not, it doesn't necessarily have to be um, because I was very concerned about the twin thing. And let me explain that a little bit. There are the obvious concerns, like you have two babies at the same time, right? And that is just terrifying. Um, but I was also concerned about things like um, individuality, right? How am I going to help them feel like individuals? I was concerned about um, how am I going to get the support that I need? I was concerned about how am I going to foster this relationship? So one of the things I did was every single time I met someone who was a twin, and it came up a lot because, you know, people ask, oh, you're expecting. You say, oh, yeah, it's twins. Oh, I'm a twin. Whenever that happened, and it happened a lot, and it, I wasn't afraid, random lady in the grocery store, Starbucks barista, I mean, whoever it was, I always, always asked, what do you feel like your parents did really well around the twin thing? And is there anything you wish they'd done differently? I was gathering research the whole time I was pregnant. That is really smart. It was so helpful because, honestly, I got a lot of the same answers. It was almost always people liked that their parents treated them as individuals, encouraged individual friendships, individual activities. People didn't like being dressed the same, being discouraged from being individuals. Mm. So one of the main choices I made from the very beginning was I never, ever referred to my children as the twins ever. And I don't offer it up. So if someone says, how many kids do you have? I say two. And they say, oh, how old are they? And I say seven. And then they go, oh, are they twins? And I say yes. But I don't offer it because I don't define my children by that. And I never wanted them to see me defining them as a unit instead right. of as individuals. So that's, that's a great huge. example of, of that, the way that I approach future-focused thinking around that. But I would think that any parent could do that with anybody, right? Like, hey, just out of curiosity, what do you feel like your parents did really well? What do you wish they'd done differently? And I also think Dave and I sat down and spent some time talking about what did we feel like our parents did really well in general? What did we want to emulate? And what were the things that we thought, mm, we'd like to do that 
differently. And that that's was not, not so great. Yeah. And without judgment-ish, you know, like, oh, maybe a little bit of judgment, um, which, of course, swiftly went away when we became parents. And we were oh, like, oh, sure. our poor parents, they did such an amazing job. But, you know, before you've become a parent and, and it's much easier to judge other parents. Um, so but but really without judgment, just from a, you know, that I would have liked that to be different. And then, of course, my husband, as a twin, was able to provide a lot of information for me around some of the things he thought his parents did really well and some of the things that he wished that they had done differently. Wow, that is huge. You had a great resource right in your own home. I sure did. How nice. Well, I did a couple things around this, and a few honestly were about me. And that is because I still believe it is really hard to give from an empty tank, and self-care as a parent is really important. So I did some things physically in my pregnancy that were going to, I believed, set me up to be a parent who then took care of myself so that I could give and keep that cycle going. I wanted to be cognizant about filling that tank. So right away, even with my choice of care provider, I was thinking about how am I taking good care of my body? I was cognizant of my nutrition during this time. I was cognizant of continuing to exercise, taking my supplements, making sure that the care that I chose was holistic and taking care of my whole person. And so I think when you say you've just peed on the stick and you've just found out, there's nothing wrong with saying, what are the physical things I need to get in order? Go ahead and get those ducks in a row. Choose a good care provider that resonates well with you and that you feel good about and is going to take you on a path toward the birth that you're hoping for because that's your real entrance and gateway into parenting. And I think that's important. Do what you need to do to get yourself healthy physically. That's huge. But the second thing I did was around social support. And you mentioned wanting to have the kind of support you would need to handle twins effectively. And for me, I wanted to have good support around me for just launching into parenthood. So I purposely put myself in groups and I was pretty fortunate in that in our church community, there were groups for new parents that I could get in on. And I actually went and I attended and I watched other new parents and heard from them and listened and listened to their struggles even. Because now that I'm a sleep consultant and do infant parent coaching, I think that is huge to just be listening to what do parents wish they had known before they were actually in the thick of it. So that was, I was really able to glean some great information from that. So that was some social support and just being able to ask for advice really unashamedly. And it was that was huge. But also, I was, of course, with a mind toward being a future focused parent, I was setting myself up for parenting. And we've talked about this before. But just like a wedding, there's a lot of focus on the wedding and not as much on the marriage. There can be a lot of focus when you're pregnant on the birth and so much attention going to it. And it's not that it's not important. We're doing a whole episode on birth. And I think it is critical. And please get yourself educated and do those things. But the part you're going to be doing longer is the parenting. And so for my belief system as a Christian, I also really see children as a gift from God. And I wanted to treat that gift with an appropriate reverence and admiration like wow this is really special because frankly there are people who really struggle to get pregnant have infertility issues maybe people who never get to and I that was not lost on me 
And so I was also trying to set myself up spiritually for this monstrous task ahead. And that meant a lot of reading, a lot of studying, looking at parenting books, also just being around my friends and support system at church so that I was keeping this mindset of I'm about to undertake a really, quite frankly, a pretty sacred endeavor, and I don't want to take that lightly. So I would say I set myself up physically, socially, and spiritually just to get as educated as I could before going down this road. Yeah, that is so important. I think from the physical side, um, you know, for twins, there's a huge risk around bed rest and complications. And I was always really, that was always in the back of my mind, like I could go on bed rest at any moment. Um, so I I was very, very, very lucky that the work that I did was flexible. Um, because I have this private practice, I just was able to let all my clients know, like I'm a, I have a high risk pregnancy, and I'm going to really need to follow the lead of my body. And so one of the things I was really able to do was when I was tired, I rested. Um, and so just kind of trying to think about what I was going to need to to get to even full term with these kids um, was really on a day-by-day basis of just listening, listening to my body. And then also you mentioned picking a care provider. And I think one of the things you and I have talked about publicly before is not a lot of people realize that you have a choice in your care provider and that actually taking the time to interview them and have those questions and make sure you find someone who is in line with the way that you want to approach your pregnancy. For example, um, I have a friend who has twins and her care provider was was really a scaremonger, just constantly creating fear for her Mm. around these, these twins. Now, that's not to say that there isn't fear to be had around twins, but I had a provider that really never made me feel concerned. Now, whether she was or not is kind of a question because I look back and I'm like, that's funny. Like she must have known about X, Y, or Z, but she she just never told me anything I didn't need to know. She was really like positive and just I just know that you're gonna be fine. And and so finding a care provider who really comes at it the way that you do. Now, if you are naturally a more nervous person, you might want someone who's gonna engage with those fears, who's not gonna be afraid to have those conversations, right? right. My provider might not have been a good choice because she might have dismissed that, right? As opposed to letting you explore those. So concerns. it is. It is so much about that right fit. Yeah, absolutely. And so again, that's going to set you up for getting all your needs met while you're pregnant so that when baby comes, you have had this nine months of preparation, of staying calm, of being clear-headed and being able to kind of move forward into the future with baby. Absolutely. And it's so, so important, that fit piece. It's fine to interview, ask questions, Take your business elsewhere if you've already picked and you're unhappy. Yeah, you're a consumer. People forget that you are a consumer. I always say to uh, my birthing couples, have you ever changed hairstylists? That's just your hair, right? This is your baby and your body, so it's okay to change. It is, and it's about you being a good advocate for your own care, and that is absolutely okay. Use your feet and walk out the door if it's not the right match, so the that's super important. And the advocacy piece, I think, like part of being a great parent is being a great advocate. For most of those early years, you are their only advocate. And so I say to couples all the time, pregnancy is the opportunity to practice and hone your advocacy skills. Standing up for yourself, setting good boundaries with family members. A lot of people are struggling with that. Like, how am I going to cope with my family when I have this baby and their opinions and all of this? 
learning to set boundaries in pregnancy when you're not also negotiating a newborn is going to work that muscle and build it so that when the baby's here, you're like, I kind of, I know how to do that. I've learned how to advocate. So using this as a launching ground, because you nailed it when you said, you're already pregnant. You're already a parent. But you get this quiet time to start to hone some of the skills that are going to define you as a parent later. I would like to also mention one of the things I was really passionate about when I was pregnant and that I see a lot with my birthing couples that gives me some pause is I was very careful about how I spoke about my babies in utero. I am a firm believer that babies come out the way you describe them. So if you have a baby that's very active and you hear a mom say, oh, this one's trouble. Well, guess what? You have labeled your unborn child. They are going to come out and probably be very active, and you're going to see that as trouble. And so before this baby's even born, you have defined them in this way. So I was always very careful about calling them positive things and acknowledging the good things they were doing. So for example, um, when we made it to 34 weeks and we knew that they were going to come home and that everything was going to ultimately be okay, most likely saying to them, like, it's so great that you guys hung in there. You're so strong. You're so capable. When they were active, oh, you feel so joyful right now. You feel so excited to be alive right now. Instead of, you feel like trouble, right? Yes. (laughs) Um, And then even little things like, this is going to sound really, really silly, but there were three activities that I really wanted to do before the babies were born. One was um, my friend Noah's birthday party, um, his 30th birthday party. One was an amazing event that our friends put on called the couple's decathlon which is like a 10 event thing with couples and we couldn't participate because I was pregnant but I wanted to go and then there was one other that came before those two and I kept saying to the babies we just got to make it to the decathlon because that was the last one mm-hmm. I, just, I just need you to make it to the decathlon but I really also want to do these other two things well each time we hit one of those I would say you are such good listeners thank you so much for listening now I know this sounds super duper silly but I have great listeners my kids are great listeners and I really believe they were getting this message Even in utero, we went to the couple's decathlon, we came home and had dinner, and I went into labor that night. They made it just to the end. They listened. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it's those kinds of things like starting now to think about the fact that the way you speak to your children, the way you describe them is initially how they see themselves. So using pregnancy as an opportunity to start developing the language that you want to use in communicating with your unborn child. Well, and it's just like even for adults, your self-talk is so huge. That is your inner voice, and that's the recording you have going in your mind. And so we're creating that with our babies when when we're pregnant, and it's really important. I want to talk just for a minute about parenting choices, and then I'd love to hear from you about the parent preparation piece. And when you're getting ready to be a parent, there are some choices involved, and you might be a little overwhelmed, and that's really normal. There are so many books out there, so many different philosophies. And actually, what both you and I say repeatedly is we're not going to be over here in one camp advocating for one specific parenting style, but we do advocate that you choose a parenting style. Please pick something because it gives all the rest of your parenting direction. And pregnancy is a great time to do that. You can read a book on attachment parenting. You can read a book 
that maybe advocates a little bit more of a routine. You can read a book about things that are in the middle. You can learn about baby wearing, co-sleeping, sleeping in a crib, all the different things, and then choose for yourself what resonates. But when you choose, it puts you on a definitive path and gives you really implicit and explicit direction for where you're going to go in parenting. So we really recommend that you use this beautiful gift of a time of preparation to think about what resonates with you in terms of a parenting style and choose that and get familiar with the principles around what you've chosen so that then you're ready to implement it and you're not trying to implement it when you're already exhausted or have been up at night nursing or whatever. This is the time to get familiar with that, get you and your partner on the same page with it and be ready then to hit the ground running when baby comes. Right. And and you you can then be flexible once that happens. Having a plan doesn't mean that you have to stick to that plan exactly. It means that you have a framework you're starting with. Then you have some flexibility within that to tweak and perfect and go, oh, that doesn't that didn't work at all. But having a plan just sets you up for success in it a does. far better way. And it gives you some infrastructure. And th- I love that you mentioned that you can throw things out that don't work, just like you can switch care providers, because this and this is why I suggest read about lots of styles, because if you do start one and you're like, actually, this doesn't feel good to us, you'll already have at least oh, I know I can go back to that other resource and we can look at shifting gears to this style that might be a better fit for us. Maybe you started on one of the more extreme ends and realize you need to come toward the middle. Or maybe you started in more of the middle and feel like, wow, I want to go a little more toward attachment parenting and demand feeding, or I want to move away from that. There is room and there's latitude, but then you'll at least have knowledge of several different options and be able to have kind of that infrastructure around it rather than just trying to wing it with a brand newborn with the hormones that come with that the exhaustion that comes with that i can't really recommend winging it yes That's let's talk about let's talk about winging it because um so i just wrote a book which we're publishing under the future focus parenting brand um that is a workbook for couples to talk about what's going to happen after the baby's born and you mentioned this earlier when you said the things that people who've just had a baby wish they knew this is sort of a book that tells them the things they don't know they don't know Um, and one of the chapters i talk about avoiding the winging it approach because winging it is a recipe for disaster now that doesn't mean you aren't flexible it doesn't mean you aren't relaxed it means you're not just flinging and flailing about trying to figure out what to do, you have a course of action. Now, if that course of action doesn't fit or doesn't feel good, we pick a different course of action. So just to plug my book for like a second. um, So the book is a workbook of questions that couples can sit down and discuss together, things they might not be thinking about now. So one of my favorite questions in the book is, when the baby is sick, who stays home? Most couples have never had this conversation until they have a sick baby in their arms. And our society tends to expect mom to stay home, even if both parents are working. And so it can really quickly build resentment because mom feels like, why am I always stuck with the baby? My work matters too. And so having this discussion in advance allows them to come up with a plan and then implement it. Now there's no resentment. This was our plan. Now they might find that that plan's not working and they can discuss it, but it's again without resentment mm-hmm. because they've already had the conversation. Right. And then you're choosing to do something different. You're not just going, yikes, now what? Yes, exactly. If you flip that, let's say we have a stay-at-home parent and a working parent. 
Um, what happens when the stay-at-home parent gets sick? How are they going to get cared for? Having a plan for when the stay-at-home parent is sick, it means X, Y, or Z. The working parent works from home. The working parent is in charge of the morning so the stay-at-home parent can just get that little extra bit of sleep. Having a plan, being prepared. One of the other things that's most important to me in that book is looking at priorities. What are you going to struggle to get met when you have a baby? Showering is hard. Going to the bathroom is hard. Hair and makeup, out the window at the Mm -hmm. beginning. So looking at what are the things that make each person in the relationship feel like a human and having them meet those needs. So great example for Dave and I, for me, it was a shower. I could not be one of those moms that doesn't shower every day. I greatly admire the ones that do. Um, And so Dave and I had this conversation. I said, I'm going to need a shower every day. And we made that happen because he knew I needed that because we'd had the conversation. We had a plan. So the plan was he woke up 15 minutes early every day so I could have a shower. Really wasn't that complicated to fix. Now what he needed, because he's an introvert, so when he came home, he needed transition time. He could not walk through the door and be daddy. He needed 10 minutes to grab a beer, go sit in our room, and transition. Now if we had never had that conversation, if we hadn't planned, if we had just did the winging it approach. What would have happened? What would have happened is Dave would have gotten up at the time he needed to get up to go to work. I would have missed my shower, which is something that made me feel like a person. He would have come home to a wife who had not felt like a person all day. He would have grabbed his beer and gone into his room and gotten his need met, and I would be pissed, right? (laughs) So as opposed to just by having a simple plan in place, we avoided all of that. He got up. I got my needs met. When he got home, he got his beer, went into the room. And he gets his and he needs gets met. Need met. And now not only are we getting our needs met, we're working as a team. Yes. We feel like we're supporting each other. So there's lots of stuff like that in the book. And But this is also what I do when I'm private coaching with couples. I love working with couples prenatally for parent coaching because we're setting them up for success. What can we talk about now? What can we begin to build a framework for now that's going to set you up for success on the other side? Yeah, that stuff is so huge. Because if you don't talk about it in advance, you don't know. What you don't know. You don't. And you don't know what your partner needs. And so they may have this unmet need. And I can't say how many just relational struggles result from unmet needs and the frustration around that. Or another way to put that are unmet expectations around those needs. Sometimes we have an expectation. Well, of course, my partner is going to know I need a shower. You have that expectation, but they didn't know that because you never communicated it. And so now you have this kind of simmering frustration. And that doesn't help in those early weeks of parenting when you've got to be a team because that takes so much mental and emotional energy in and of itself, just dealing with new babies. Exactly. So I want to ask you about sleep because you are an incredible sleep consultant. And I'm curious what you feel like parents can be doing while they're still expecting to set themselves up for success around sleep, because that's a topic most people are worried about. And Rightly so, because it's it's one of those things that will happen. Babies do not come out instantly sleeping through the night. They might do it here and there when they're tiny, but in general, you're going to expect some sleep deprivation. And so really, there's a couple of things. One, I've already mentioned, do lots of research on different ways to handle that. There are people who co-sleep and do fine. There are other people who know, wow, I probably wouldn't get restful sleep even in between feedings if baby was right in the bed. So you need to think about those things. Also doing the research around the safety of those choices. Make sure you're really informed so that you can make the choice that feels right. So I would say learning about lots of different methods is one. But also talking with the other parent about how you are as people. People require different amounts of sleep and can function on different amounts of sleep. So 
while one parent might be, I'm okay on six hours, another one really might need nine to feel like they're functional. I need 11. <laughs> okay, so there's an example. <laughs> so those are really good things to talk through. The other thing I learned about me is I would rather have five hours straight than eight hours interrupted. Mm. So it was important for me that I at least had one chunk Mm-hmm. in the night. That was going to make me feel more like a person, as you say. So those are things to talk to th- through with your partner. So you can kind of learn, all right, what can I do to help you? Do you maybe need to take half the night so I can get a chunk? Or are you a person who, you know, if you can grab a nap during the day, you can have an interrupted night. So I can make sure you get your nap so that then you're willing to get up in the night so I can get that chunk of uninterrupted sleep. So some of that is finding out about who you are as a person and and what resonates with you. But then really the best tip at the very, very beginning, and I say this to everyone, even people for whom feel like, yeah, I do want to do a routine or I'm okay with sleep training. I mean, even people who are that far on that end of the spectrum, at the beginning, I always advocate everybody needs a week or two to just learn. Mm. Learning to nurse is a really steep learning curve for mom and baby. So if you're having a breastfeeding relationship, there's got to be time to learn that. Babies learning to breathe, suck, and swallow at the same time, huge skill for them. So the first tender days and weeks of nursing, if they're doing that, are can be pretty tricky. And so I really don't advocate even starting any kind of what looks like a pattern to sleep. Even with demand feeding, there are some sleep kind of strategies around that. And I'm just kind of a no strategies at the beginning person. So those would be three things I would say. Learn what you can, talk together about your own needs for sleep, and give yourself a few weeks of grace at the beginning. I love that because I bet it's easier to give grace at the beginning if you know that your plan is coming down the road. Whatever that plan is. Even if the plan is no plan, right? Then it's like I'm making peace with this learning curve and I'm working toward getting used to it and adjusted. And then either I'm going to keep going with that flexibility or I'm going to move toward whatever plan. Absolutely. Then you kind of see it as this light that's coming, the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's not an oncoming train. You're like, right now we're just going to nap and learn and sleep when we can and grab little snatches of sleep. But I know that soon it'll look different. And that can be comforting to know kind of relief is on the way. Mm -hmm. And even then, though, I would think that if you have talked with your partner, those couple of weeks can still be filled with needs getting met. Like, you know, she's not getting the sleep that she needs, but I can sure make sure she gets a shower. Right. right? Or while she's stuck in a breastfeeding session, I can bring her a snack. And so she's not also having to get up to prep food in those few free minutes because sometimes baby might take just a little cat nap and maybe she wants to rest during that too. So there's all kinds of ways, yeah, you can help and support each other. I love that. Well, I hope our listeners have been able to get some knowledge today from us about some of these big topics that you can be looking at in that time that you're still expecting. And actually, that's probably the best time to be looking at it. Um, What kind of parent do you want to be? How do you want to handle some of the transitional hardships? Um, And just really thinking also about how are you getting good physical care that's going to set you and baby up for life. So we're going to end with a quote today uh, by Plato, which I feel is just so lovely. Like, why, why not? Let's quote Plato because he knows his stuff. Um, Plato says, the beginning is the most important part of the work. And Dina and I would absolutely agree with that. For more information, you can go to RaisingAdultsPodcast.com or our bigger brand, FutureFocusParenting.com. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating, tell your friends, share it on Facebook and Instagram. It's amazing how much those positive reviews and word of mouth is the key to a successful podcast. So if you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating and we can bring you more of it. Thanks for listening.